0: All right, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 10 through 23, finishing our series in what we're calling life in Christ as Paul breaks down to us what it's like to be in Christ and how we're to live in Christ and uh, showing us his example and encouraging us to follow his example. Tonight we're going to close with the study I'm calling contentment in Christ as Paul sums up really the The drive of his life and the focus of his life, which is on Christ. And as a result, we're going to see that he has contentment in Christ. And so let's pray and let's, let's see what the Lord has for us. And so, Father, we thank you again, Lord. I pray as we sung in the song, Lord, that we would have a resurrected life. Lord, we have been raised with you. And now, Lord, I pray that we would experience that, Lord, as we walk with you by the power of your Spirit. Lord, that you would make your word, Lord, as it is, alive and powerful to us, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, we thank you for the chance to go through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, Or that you can speak to us, and Lord, we know that you'll do that tonight as we submit our hearts to you, and so, Lord, pray for the work of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, you might not know this, but you could actually sport Philippians 4.13 with style. Now, part of Philippians 4.13 is now printed on Under Armour's new shoe, which is it's really all the rage. The shoe, as most of you probably know, is the Curry One, right, Curry One, which is made for Stephen Curry, outspoken Christian and NBA superstar who plays for the Golden State Warriors. Any Warrior fans here? All right, I see a hand in the back over there. You see, people ask, can anything good come out of Oakland? And we say, well, yeah, you got Stephen Curry, Jim Laporte, God bless you, sir, in the back. And then also we have, you know, um, David Carr, who's also Christian. So I think God's telling everybody who they should support. You know, the Oakland team. I don't know if any Oakland A's are Christians, but it's a different story. I'll have to find that out later. But, you know, Stephen Curry, who's outspoken, plays for the Golden State Warriors, and who also talks openly about his faith, has Philippians 4.13, a part of the verse, printed on his new shoes that you can get at Foot Action for 130 bucks. <laughs> I mean, they're nice shoes, though. Don't get me wrong, I mean, they're stylish. Now, the Apostle Paul didn't design any shoes or clothing with Philippians 4.13, but he did represent this verse from his life. He lived it, he represented it. Now, how did Paul represent Philippians 4.13 with his life? Well, just like Jesus, Paul lived a life surrendered to God's will. Paul looked at God's plan for his life like a runner who ran his race to win, And so Paul believed that God was doing some amazing things. He got hold of his life, and Paul knew that God was gonna do some more amazing things. And so he continued to press forward hard, and and he drove to, to see what God would do. Now, not only did Paul live surrender to God's will, but as we'll learn this evening, he was also content and joyful in God's will. Now, as we all know, it's one thing to be walking in God's will, but it's another thing to be content and joyful in it. Think of the children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. By location, they were exactly where God wanted them to be. God, by his providence, was working that out. But yet, most of their hearts were not in it. They weren't joyful. They weren't content. And as a result, they weren't experiencing what God had for them. Think about Jonah. God, through his providence, he got a hold of Jonah. Jonah said, I want to go this way. And God said, No, you're going to go this way. God got a hold of his life. He sent him to the location where he wanted to be. He even used him in the way that God wanted to use him, but yet Jonah, at the end of his book, was not content. He was not joyful. He He wasn't experiencing that abundance that God would have for a believer. The Lord wants us to learn contentment. He wants us to learn joy as we walk with him. The apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so if we're gonna gain anything in the Christian life, if we're gonna learn what it is to experience the life of Christ as we grow in Christ, well then the Lord wants us to grow in godliness, but that godliness, being in God's will, also needs to be backed up with a content heart and a joyful heart. Now, Paul had this content and joyful heart as we read this final passage this evening. And as we work through this passage, we'll learn four things that encourage Paul and also encourage us how to be content and joyful in the Lord. The first thing we learn is in verses 10 through 12, we learn that contentment comes when we understand that God has a plan for our lives. Verse 10, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. And so Paul here writing to these Philippians told them, hey guys, I'm blessed and thankful for this gift that you sent me. As we're gonna learn in verse 18, the church did send a gift, a love offering to Paul by the hand of Epaphroditus. He went all the way from Philippi to Rome and there took Paul this offering and Paul was blessed. He wanted them to know that he wasn't upset or bummed based on the fact that for a time they weren't supporting him. You see, they started out supporting him as he was taking the gospel out, but. Uh, For some unknown reason, they lacked opportunity or maybe they had a recession or something. They just couldn't give. They didn't have the opportunity. And so for a time, they didn't give and then they began um, giving again through this gift. And Paul Paul wanted to let them know, hey, I'm not bummed that your guys support SOP, but I'm just blessed that you sent me this gift. I love that the New Testament does not show pressure tactics to give to the Lord. You don't see that in the Apostles whether it's Peter or, or Paul or, or James, you don't see them using pressure tactics to get people to give. The, really, the method of the New Testament to give was to declare that God says that we should give to the work of the Lord and support the ministry. That's clear. It wasn't, the Bible doesn't teach whether we should give, but the Bible says we should give. But it's up to the Spirit to convict the heart of a person on how they're to give and when they're to give. And that's what Paul uh, mentions here. He says, hey, I'm blessed that you guys are giving and that you are supporting my ministry. Rather than condemning these people for not giving or putting a guilt trip on them, you know, he didn't show pictures, hey, you could have been involved in this or you know, talking about all these different things. I was here and showing pictures of himself, cold, you know, in a blanket or whatever. If you only would have gave, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have been like this you know, kind of thing. He didn't even mention any of that stuff. But he says, but hey, you know, the Lord has, has taught me, you know, you, and, and I'm blessed through all of this. He was content in joy. And the reason why he was content and joyful was because the Lord taught him through these circumstances. Verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. And so Paul wanted it to be very, very clear, since he's talking about money, that he was not in need. You know, this wasn't one of those you know evangelists on TV where it says, hey, if you don't give me right now, God's gonna kill me. Or if you don't give me money, then God's not gonna be able to work. Paul would not be very happy with that person, right? He says here, hey, I have no need, really. The Lord has taught me to be content. And, um, and he was able to declare that. Now, concerning the word content, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says this. They said the word content means self-sufficient. The Stoics used this word, which occurs only here in the New Testament, to mean human self-reliance and fortitude, a calm acceptance of life's pressures. But Paul used it to refer to a divinely bestowed sufficiency, whatever the circumstances. And so Paul was content. He had a self you know, um, not really self-sufficient because his sufficiency was on God, as we'll learn. His strength came from Christ. But in a sense, he felt like satisfied, the fact that God was providing and continuing to give him grace to endure the situations and circumstances that he was in. Now, as I said, this contentment didn't originate with Paul. The source of this was from God. You know, and Paul learned it from God, and he lived it by the power of God. How did Paul learn it? Well, he learned it through God's providence in his life. God's providence is his tool to shape us, and he does that often through circumstances, right, as he sanctifies us through his word, but he uses providence as well to move us. From start to finish, Paul was God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, as he told the Ephesians. Starting from, you know, a young believer there in Tarsus, as he got saved and you know, he uh, was ministering there. God was teaching him. As he was in the outskirts of Damascus for some three years, preaching the gospel to Gentiles and, and, and other people and ministering and spending time with the Lord, God was shaping him and molding him. The time that he spent there in Antioch with the church, teaching on a rotation and preaching and, and ministering and having the Lord speak to his heart and call him in the ministry, was a time that God was using to shape him. And finally, through his missionary journeys, the Lord was continuing to shape Paul to make him the man of grace and the man of God that he was. Through all this time, God was shaping him and making him the man that he is. And God does the same thing for you and I in our lives. He uses circumstances, he uses our life and our situations to make you and I the people that he wants us to be in Christ. And Paul was able to step back and look at that and know that, and as a result, he was able to look at his circumstances as a way of which the Lord was teaching him to be content, you know, to have contentment even as he was abandoned or when he was abased. Now, Paul, as he walked with God through these different changes and through these different circumstances, didn't learn critical thinking on how to get out of his circumstances, but rather Paul learned how to glorify God despite his circumstances. Ultimately, man, tough times? I gotta think wisely right here. How can I get out of this thing? And Paul's like, nope. I'm gonna learn how to glorify God through this circumstance. And God wants to give you and I this stability, this baseline as we walk with Lord. And I believe that this baseline comes only as we set our eyes on God, who is unchanging, as we set our eyes on Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so whether Paul's life was changing, whether he was you know, serving the Lord throughout Europe, preaching the gospel, or whether he was now sitting in Rome, in a jail cell, he was able to stay content and also joyful because his eyes weren't on his changing circumstances around him, but on the consistency of our God and on Christ. And as we remember that, it's important because it helps us to calibrate ourselves before the Lord. You see, we're not to cre- think critically and try to calibrate God's will to what we want in our circumstances around us. We think, okay, God, this is how I'm gonna calibrate your will. I'm gonna think critically to figure out how you're gonna do this. No, rather, God wants us to calibrate our heart to the baseline. Think about calibration, because my oven's all messed up man, in my house. <laughs> it is. So it's like, you know, I set it at like 325, and it goes up to like 450. So I was like, I wonder why I burn everything. So you know, I fixed the igniter in it and all that, and still, it's still like 25 degrees. I got it all set up to the max, so... You know, I don't know, I just thought I'd bring that up right now. But you know, the baseline. God's will is our is our baseline. His plan for our life is our baseline, and we're to adjust our lives to that baseline. As we do, we'll have joy, we'll have contentment. Now, there are things that take our eyes off the Lord as we walk. You know, as as we walk with the Lord and we're talking about having contentment and joy there's easy ways for the world to take our eyes off Jesus and steal our joy and help us to not be content. And those two things are, first of all, circumstances. Yes, God does allow times of blessing, but he also does allow times of buffeting. Now I'm not saying that God is the author of evil, nor nor am I saying that God ordains evil and suffering, but God does at times choose to allow different circumstances in our life or sufferings in order, as I said, to make us the man and woman of God that he wants us to be. Think of Joseph. I mean, Joseph has some changing circumstances in his life. I mean, he started off as his father's right-hand son. You know, Benjamin was cool. He, he is the son of my right hand, but Joseph, he was the son of many colors, go to many colors. And, you know, he was the prized son, but yet circumstances changed as his brothers sold him to the Midianite traders and he eventually went to Egypt, put in jail. But yet the Lord was still working. He raised him up in the jail and he placed him in you know, um, Pharaoh's house to be at his right hand. And Joseph understood that through God's providence he was working because in the end when he saw his brothers, he says, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's the attitude and contentment of a person whose eyes aren't on circumstances around them, but that are on God. Think about Daniel. I mean, he was taken from Jerusalem from Judea as a youth and taken to Babylon but yet in the end he chose to stay there in order to minister right in his old age maybe he couldn't make it all the way back but whatever the case might be Daniel nowhere in his book when you read his life do you see him always complaining about his circumstances he was using his circumstances to glorify God now, this understanding totally contradicts and is contrast to the health and wealth movement. They teach that you need to control your circumstances. And the way that you control your circumstances to make yourself more physically healthy or to be more you know, materially prosperous is by faith in God. And so who cares about God's providence, that he's in control, shaping us? I'm gonna shape my circumstances. And it contradicts what the Lord wants to do. Paul was able to learn contentment even as he walked with the Lord. Another way that we have our joys stolen from us and contentment taken away is by looking at others around us and not keeping our eyes on Jesus. Listen to what uh, Jesus told Peter in John 21, 18 to 22. Here's what Jesus said. He says, "Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. John says, this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now the, uh, now the beloved disciple of this book, John, um, Peter turns to him and, and then turned around, he saw this disciple whom Jesus loved and says, what about him? And the Lord says, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And so here Peter's walking with Jesus and you know, the Lord turns to Peter and says, hey Peter, when you're older, you're going to die for me. And Peter says, That's great, Lord, but what about John, your beloved disciple? And Jesus says, Don't worry about John. If I will that he remain until I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. Don't look at John. Don't look at other believers. Asaph, the psalmist there, in the book of Psalms, looked at the world around him. And as a result of that, his joy was stolen from him. He almost stumbled, he said as he began to question God about why the wicked of the earth were prosperous, and yet he was suffering. But yet, as he calibrated his heart and his mind back on God, the Lord set his heart right, and he understood therein, he understood why the Lord was doing what he was doing, he was working. So don't look at your circumstances, or don't look at others. Rather, Jesus says, follow me, keep your eyes on me, and as we do, we'll walk in contentment. In Christ. Second, in verse 13, we learn that Paul's source of sustaining contentment was found in Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now we've all heard this verse used in various contexts, right? But the context of this passage is Paul's continuing source of strength to live a content, you know, to, to live in contentment and joy in his Christian life. God wants to do great things through our life, yes. I mean, he wants to do some amazing, mighty, and powerful things as he uses us. But most importantly, we must not forget that the main thing he wants to do in our life is to teach us to live a godly godly life full of contentment. Now, thank God that the source of our Christian life does not come from us, but as a branch abides in a vine, even so, the source that we receive as we abide in Christ is the Holy Spirit. You see, the Lord keeps us aright through the Spirit. He whispers to our heart as we struggle and feel hard pressed with our circumstances, you know, to keep a steady path. You know, as we, as we move to the right hand to the left, the Lord, through His grace, is able to minister to us and say, hey, follow me, follow me, keep your eyes on me. Through the Spirit, the Lord keeps us hydrated and strong as we run our race with endurance, even as the terrain changes. You know, Paul talked about his. Christian life being like a race? Well, Paul has some pretty different terrains, you know? You know, as he was up and down rocky paths, but yet through it all, the Lord kept him hydrated. He kept him strong, and he kept his eyes on on the prize on Jesus. Third, in verses 14 through 19, Paul learned contentment by having a proper view of money. Verse 14, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. But even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And so Paul encouraged these believers for their generosity. He was was praising the Lord for it. These saints were partners with Paul in the ministry, beginning from his journeys in Europe. As Paul went throughout Europe, starting with Philippi, they were supporting him, and they were um, encouraging him in this work. Even when he was in Thessalonica, among these believers, the Philippians were, were still giving in supporting Paul so he can minister to other churches, to other believers. Now notice Paul's joy was not so much in the gift of, this, of these believers. It wasn't in the material blessing. After all, he says he's full in the next verses, as as we'll see, but his joy was in the fact that they were partnering, partnering with him in the ministry and thus sharing the fruit and rewards that God was doing. And so if we're to be content in life, we need to have a proper understanding of money. Money, yes, we need it to survive, right? But money is a way that we also serve God and use it correctly. This begins by supporting the local church which is focused on preaching the gospel and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. The Bible encourages us that a worker is worthy of his wages and, and by us giving helps us to support those who do the work of the Lord so they can continue to do the work of the ministry on a daily basis and also provide to you know, have a building like we have here to be able to do work. But also allows us to be freed up to equip others for the work of the ministry. As the Lord sends us out back out as missionaries, to affect wherever we are. And Paul was excited about that. He says, hey, I went to you know, Thessalonica and you guys were giving. and in a sense, it was like you guys were with me. You guys are actually sharing in that fruit. You guys are actually sharing in that great work that God did because you were given to support me so I can continue to do that work. Verse 18, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So once again, Paul talks about this blessing of their offering. It was brought to him by the hand of Epaphroditus. He took it all the way from Philippi to Paul in Rome. But in this verse, Paul gives us another way to look at our money. Not only can we serve God with our money by supporting the ministry, but we can look at our money as a way to worship God. I'm told that the Greek term fragrant offering that pleased God is also used in the in the in the book of Leviticus in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And so at one point in the history of you know, Israel, most people didn't speak Hebrew, but most people spoke Greek as Alexander, you know, conquered most of the known world and Greek became the known language. Well, in order for people to have the scriptures, they went and translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. And As they were reading the book of Leviticus, this verse, this fragrant offering, is the same term that Paul is using here. So in a sense, as the children of Israel brought these offerings to the Lord, you know, these grain offerings, as they went up to the Lord, it it pleased the Lord. As they brought an animal from the herd or from the flock and set it on the altar, in a sense, it was offering up to the Lord. And so, in the same way, as we give to the work of the Lord, it's an acceptable sacrifice that pleases God. It's not just giving because we have to, it's giving because it's a way to worship the Lord. So we worship the Lord with our lives through godly living, we worship the Lord through our lips, our, our lips with you know, praise and, and prayer, but we also have an, a, a, an opportunity to worship God through our giving as we worship the Lord in that way. And so Paul had this proper understanding and he was able to encourage them in it. Verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, as we talked about spiritual sustainment and physical support of the ministry, we're promised here blessing from the Lord, the fact that he'll continue to supply our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. Now, we have been seated in the heavenly places with Christ. That means that we have received all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now most of these health and wealth teachers, they often take passages from the Old Testament given to Israel about physical blessing and they apply them to the church today. And they say, well look, in the Old Testament it says this, yes, God did promise the children of Israel under the law that if they obeyed him, he would open up the skies of heaven, he would, he would bless them physically and also spiritually. But also they fail to read the rest of like Deuteronomy 28 where God says, but if you disobey my law and forsake my law, there's a lot more curses that are gonna come on that. So you know, they they choose to take from the physical blessings, but they ignore the the physical curses. Under grace, we're not under the law. It doesn't apply to us. Rather, we have all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. God has promised us to give us all riches by his grace to sustain us, to continue to give us contentment regardless of our circumstances. But we also do have the promise in Scripture that the Lord will provide for us in our needs. Think about us. If you, being evil, know how to give good, good good things to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give to those who ask him? If we see our children in need, will we not provide for them? Well, how much more will our Heavenly Father provide for us? Jesus says, you know, give us this day our daily bread. Now it's been rightly said, God will not give us our wants, but he'll give us our needs. And if we pray for something and we don't get it, well then you probably don't need it. (laughs) And so the Lord will provide as we walk with him as he supplies our need. If we're to be content in this life, well then we need to have a correct view of money. Because greed, lust, materialism, it will rob us of our joy and cause us to take our eyes off Christ. I love what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, to 12 It's almost like Paul is teaching him exactly what he's living out Before us, Listen to what he told Timothy. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we have brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But with those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some, having strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight, lay hold of it on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's Paul's life. Paul said, hey, I am seeking to lay hold of that which Christ has also laid hold of me. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, deny these things, follow my example, lay hold of those things which the Lord has given to you. Forsake youthful lust. They'll drown your soul and they'll hinder effectiveness. The Lord wants us to content. He wants us joyful as we walk with him. Fourth and finally, in verses 20 through 23, we learn contentment in Christ. Um, contentment in Christ means that we don't settle in Christ. Verse 20, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. To every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are in Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. Now it seems like a contradiction to say that we must be content, yet we must not settle in Christ or be content in Christ. Yes, we're to be content in our lot in life, in our place in this world, but we must never settle in our spiritual life. Rather we're to seek to grow in God's grace and his glory. And these verses verses right here kinda give us some insight in some of those things that we're to, to continue to grow and not be content in. First is God's glory, that's what Paul says here. To our God and Father be glory for now and ever, amen. Paul continually lived to give God greater glory. He, didn't, he wasn't settled with, with just doing certain things. He wanted to give God the greatest glory. And so he, he wasn't content with, with what he was doing. He wanted to give God you know, more and more of his life. Second, our love and fellowship with others. Paul loved others and even encouraged us, and Peter did as well, for us to abound more and more in love. Don't be content with how much you love people, but you are to abound more and more. And Paul, right here, made it very clear that he wanted the saints to know that he loved them and he was greeting them. Paul continually sought to to love others more and more. Also, um, third, Paul desired to see the lost come to know Christ. Paul was excited to see people come to Christ, especially those who were the household of Caesar. He was pumped up about that. Hey, by the way, these guys are with me from the household of Caesar. They work in Caesar's palace. Not the place in Vegas, but the place, you know, in Rome, you know, in these different places. He was excited. He knew that God is not one that any should perish perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he sought to see more and more coming of the Lord. Finally, he desired to have more of God's grace in his life. Peter in 1 Peter 1 2 prayed that God's grace and peace would be continually multiplied to the believer. People said, yeah, God's given us grace, but man, I pray that it'd be multiplied in your life, that it would continue to be multiplied as we grow in God's grace. And so yes, we're to be content in our life, in our lot, in our you know, physical life here on earth, but we're not to be content in our spiritual walk. In closing, let's take our mind off our circumstances and the world and place them on God who is desiring to work in and through us. Let's focus on how we can worship God and grow in his grace, and as we do, like Paul, we'll be able to say that we're content in Christ.